Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Hey guys, welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Mike Jones and I'm the lead pastor here. We are currently in a series titled Adjusting Our Focus. And in this series, we are studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, this is the fourth sermon in the series. We are uh, we started out with a series overview, and then we learned about f- turning our focus to God. Last time, I talked about focusing on who we really are. And today, we're looking at being focused on others. And so, if you have a Bible with you, please open to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be reading uh, and referencing a, a few scriptures in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and then all of chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. So, if you have a copy of the scriptures, you'll be able to uh, follow along with me. I'm referencing or I'm using the New Living Translation, which is kind of the unofficial uh, official translation here at Cornerstone. Um, and so, if you haven't uh, recently read through Ephesians chapter 3, then I want you to pause this podcast right now, take maybe two minutes. And read through it. It doesn't take very long to read through these 21 verses, but read through it, and that way you will have a, a general uh, understanding of of what I'm referencing as I kind of move around within the within this particular chapter. So, when we look at uh, chapter three of Ephesians, when we start into verse one, we think uh, we see Paul mentioning. He goes, "When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner." Uh, of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. And then he pauses. And in the New Living Translation, there's actually an ellipsis there, which means he's pausing his his thought and he's going kind of into a parenthetical thought. We We see what he was going to originally say in verse 14, because in 14, he says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. And then he goes on and he kind of lit, shares his prayer. And so we see that the the information, the, the things that he says from verses 2 up through verse 14 were, were kind of a parenthetical thought. Uh, essentially, what he is he is reiterating in these verses, calls back to what he said in chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Let's take a second and look back into chapter 2 and just notice some similarities between his thinking in in chapter 2, verses 11 through 18 and chapter 3, verses 2 through uh, 13. Okay, so in chapter 2, verse 11, Paul, he says to the Gentiles, to the Ephesians, Uh, They're non-Jewish people. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders, right? And in verse 13, it says, but now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him. Now skip up to uh, chapter 3, verse 2, verse 6, and verse 8. Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 3 that God has extended his grace to the Gentiles. In verse 6, he says that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news regarding Christ Jesus will share equally in the riches that are inherited by God's children. And then in verse 8, he says that there are endless treasures available to the Gentiles through faith in Jesus. So, 
in this parenthetical thought, Paul is once again trying to show the Ephesians that God had always planned on offering salvation to them as Gentiles. Uh, offering salvation to the Gentiles or to non-Jewish people, that is, it was not an afterthought or uh, a last-minute addition in God's plan. From from before creation began, God had always intended to include them, to include non-Jewish people in his plan of salvation. And so, once again, uh, we see God's plan clarified here in chapter 3. We see in, in verse 4 that God's plan centers around Christ, around Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, for it is through faith in Christ that in verse 6 we see that those who believe in Jesus will become God's children. So regardless of their physical differences, both Jewish uh, believers and Gentile believers are part of the same body and both enjoy the blessings associated with being God's children. Paul wants them to understand that. And then we see in uh, verse 5 and again in verse 9 that Paul says many times that this plan uh, was kept a secret up until that point, meaning there in the, the first century. And, and, and God had just then began to reveal his plan to the apostles and to the prophets. And so this is God's plan. And Paul takes, he takes a lot of time in chapters uh, one through three, just explaining that plan to them and to us, modern day believers. Now, what was the purpose of God's plan? What Paul tells us in verse 10, if you haven't read that already, take a look at that. He plainly says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so we specifically, we see that God wanted or God's purpose uh, in this plan was to show the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places how wise he is. Really, okay. Uh, specifically, it was the unity of the church that, that displayed God's wisdom. Unity amidst its rich variety. Now, variety naturally has a way of dividing people because uh, people tend to naturally focus on their their physical differences, and this in turn creates conflict. As people focus on their differences in color, culture, or customs, they tend to create conflicts with one another because everyone naturally thinks that that their color, or their culture, or their customs are, are right. And more importantly, they think that everyone else should think, speak, and act just like they do, right? And so as a result, we see people trying to convince or coerce others into being just like them, as if there were only one right color or one right culture or one right customs, right? So they, th they think that the conflict, more importantly, they think that the conflict between them and, and, and people with, with other, uh, uh, who are different than them will be resolved if everyone thinks and speaks and acts the same, right? Naturally, we think that if everyone was the, is the same, then, then we'll achieve unity somehow. But here Paul says that unity and diversity are present in the church and that it was part of God's plan that that be so, right? It's the presence of unity amidst diversity that God's wisdom 
is displayed. And so how is this possible? That's the question. How is this possible? And more importantly, why don't we experience this more often, right? So this is where we kind of start applying it to ourselves and and where we find ourselves. See, a time of crisis tends to expose people's underlying beliefs and and it challenges their uh, behavioral motivations like nothing else. See, in other words, it's, it's in a time of crisis that people expose who they really are. When the pressure's on, who somebody really is starts to come out. Right, it, it not, and it exposes who they really are, not only to themselves but to everyone else around them. But it's for, it's hard for people to hide who they really are in a time of crisis. And so, when the pressure's on, that's when our true selves are expressed. And it's, it's not even that others have to have to pry it out of us, right? It's, it's in a crisis when there people are more than willing to tell you what they think, how they feel, and, and what they want. Case in point, our present battle with the coronavirus. You know, I mean, if you've been following Facebook or Twitter or any sort of social media platform recently, or even just had conversations with your neighbors, you know that this is true. I mean, people are more than willing to tell you what they think about their president, about their governor and local officials. They're more than willing to tell you what they think about stay-at-home policies, as well as the restrictions or essentials versus non-essentials, etc. Right? everybody's willing to to share their opinion because there are a, a lot of people are upset for a variety of reasons right so what people are uh, really believe and what they really value regarding health or public safety or government intervention or economic policy is being displayed like perhaps like never before even people who are generally reserved and tend to keep their opinions to themselves are speaking up right and so it's in the process of, of all this opinionating that factions are forming as people are aligning themselves with those who value what they value. And, and naturally, this is creating conflict in people's relationships. I mean, family members, close friends, neighbors, work colleagues, and even Christians in, in the same congregation are losing relationships because of this. I can't tell you how many times this week I saw uh, on Facebook people mentioning that that others are unfriending them and, and unfollowing them because of of their opinions, because they disagree about about this or about that. And so people are, well, I'm not your friend anymore, you know, uh, like we're in grade school or something, you know, well, I'm not your friend today. You know, that's I've been in school long enough and I've seen that middle school is notorious for that. Well, I'm I'm your friend today and then tomorrow we're not and then we're best friends again. And there's a lot of that going on. And unfortunately, when we become adults, uh, you know, it's it, that on and off stuff. It, it tends to stay longer off uh, than on, you know. People are getting offended and, and they're walking away from some really important, valuable relationships in their life. They're even hindering their casual relationships, the acquaintances. You know, we have far more acquaintances in our lives than we do close relationships. And, and, and we tend to underestimate how valuable those acquaintance relationships really are. 
right? That, that informal network that we have and just good feelings that we have in the community or in the congregation or amidst our, our, our workplaces, right? Or even amidst families, cousins, and just various relationships we have uh, 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 through, through blood type relationships. So uh, we tend to underestimate and people are in the process of opinionating. They're walking away from those types of relationships, both close and and kind of casual, informal relationships. And, and quite frankly, I'm concerned, right? I'm concerned about this, right? As everybody wants everyone else to know what they think, feel, and want, and they, and, and they think that anyone who doesn't think, feel, or want what they do is wrong, and, and they're right, and others are wrong, and it's making relationships between people very difficult to sustain. Okay, are you hearing what I'm saying today? Now, is there, is there a right and a wrong? Yeah, in certain cases there are. At, for instance, at Cornerstone Church, we believe in the sanctity of life, and therefore we view abortion as an evil practice and definitely non-essential in this time of crisis, right? We would tend as a congregation to say, listen, this is wrong, okay? And there is a right, Right, but contrast this with how strictly someone needs to follow the quarantine rules, or whether or not people should be able to buy gardening supplies, or or when to end the quarantine, or the best way to move forward. I mean, there are a lot of thoughts, feelings, and desires at play, and I'm not sure uh, if there's a definite right or wrong answer to those questions. Right, there are probably a couple of ways to move forward, and and no matter what is decided, someone's going to be upset. Okay. Someone's going to be upset, no matter what the president, the governor, the local officials, the police, no matter what people do, somebody's always going to be upset. Somebody's going to, we're not going to all agree on the best way to move forward. Not even among believers will everybody agree. And I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Now, in saying all that, I also want to say, listen, I don't believe my pastoral platform was given to me by God nor the board or the board as a means to primarily speak on politics, public health or economic policy. Let me say that one more time. I don't believe my pastoral platform was given to me as a means to primarily speak on politics, public health or economic policy. Okay? That's not what I'm here for. My role is I'm not a, a public health official, I'm not a politician, I'm not a economic advisor. Okay, I'm a pastor. Okay, and so this platform and my calling as a pastor is primarily to help others develop strong relationships with God, other believers, and with unbelievers. Right? That's the the great uh, the great commandment: love God and love other people. And my role as a pastor is to help people accomplish that. And so, amidst this crisis, that's where my emphasis lies. And right now. I'm deeply concerned about our relationships, not just the quality of them, guys, okay? I want us, obviously, to have high-quality relationships, but right now, I'm also concerned about the quantity of them. I'm concerned how many of our relationships we will actually have left when this crisis is done because of all the opinionating and all of the, all of the kind of the bickering and, and going back and forth that's occurring right now people unfriending, unfollowing one another and all of this stuff, okay? 
See, the quality of our lives is, it's not just based on our finances, but it's also based on the number of good relationships we have. The more good relationships we have in our life, the, the better our quality of life will be. When we have a good relationship with God, our spouse, our children, our boss, our coworkers, our neighbors, and even uh, uh, other Christians, then we're going to have a rich life even when our finances are low. Okay, I know a lot of us right now, we're struggling financially because we haven't been able to go to work. And, and yeah, that does affect our quality of life. But if we are surrounded with so many uh, good relationships, we're going to make it through that. Okay, we're going to make it through that. I mean, there are a lot of people with lots of money who have very few good relationships and their quality of life is actually quite low. Now, even though that they have uh, a lot of money in their bank account, okay? And so our question is, how can we make it through this crisis with our good relationships still intact? Well, I'm going to tell you, we need to adjust our focus, okay? We need to adjust our focus from merely, uh, from merely what we think, feel, and want and begin focusing on what others think, feel, and want too, Okay? We need to try to see things from other people's perspective and, and think about why they value what they value. Uh, one thing I've learned and been reminded of this week personally is that there's always a story behind somebody's opinions, okay? Somebody might differ uh, in, in, with me in, in what's important. I personally, you know, I tend to focus more on the, the financial devastation of the crisis and I'm focused on getting people back to work and, and that sort of a thing. While others are, are typically, or I, I've bumped into others who are very focused on the health aspect of it and they, they very much appreciate everybody keeping their distance. And, you know, there's a story behind it. There's a story why I focus on what I focus. And there's a story on, on why they focus on what they're focused on, the health aspect. You know, maybe they have a, a, a loved one. In fact, somebody that I was talking with, they have a loved one that, that is chronically ill and they're very concerned that, that they will get the virus. And there's a story there. There's a reason why they value that, that health and that, that safety distance. And they are very avid about people uh, keeping their distance and all that, right? And so we have to understand there's a story behind it. And if we ever want to hear that story, or let alone carry a conversation with them, then we need to adjust our focus from merely ourselves and onto others, okay? Well... Now, as we uh, think about this, okay, we have to understand that this is especially uh, important uh, regarding our relationships with other believers. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 that God's wisdom is displayed in the church through its unity amidst diversity. So all believers do not think the same, nor does God require them to do so. We can have different thoughts. We can have different feelings and desires just during a crisis even, right? We can think, feel, and want different things during a crisis and still stay united. And not only can we stay united, but, but we should stay united. With the, it's not that we can, it's that we should, Okay, and we'll talk more about that in a few minutes, but, but how is this possible? How can we stay united amidst diversity, especially during a, a, a crisis time like we're experiencing right now? 
Well, again, this is possible as we adjust our focus, as we adjust our focus off of what makes us different and onto what we have in common, namely our faith in Jesus Christ. You'll notice in, in chapter two that Paul says that the conflict between Jews and Gentiles was resolved because of their faith in Christ. If you glance back at there, you'll notice him saying in in verse uh, 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Later on, he said he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. And so uh, our it's our faith in Christ that unites us amidst our differences, amidst the diversity. And so Paul is telling the the Ephesians and anyone else, Jew or Gentile, who read this letter, that they should no longer focus on what makes them different, but on who makes them the same. Let me say that one more time. He says they should no longer focus on what makes them different, but on who makes them the same. Okay? And in chapter 3, Paul continues by saying that Jews and Gentile believers are part of the same body and enjoy the same blessings because of who they have in common, namely Christ. Okay? Now, in Ephesus, both the Jewish and Gentile believers were suffering a crisis. If you listen to the overview, you know that, that uh, during this time, the Christians in, 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 in and around Ephesus were being persecuted by the cult of Artemis. And, and Paul was reminding them that during their crisis, they needed to adjust their focus in order to make it through. I've already preached a couple sermons about that and how he, he's encouraging them to adjust their focus off their crisis and onto God and who God really is and, and onto uh, uh, who they really are in Christ. And now he's asking them to adjust their focus from just themselves and onto other people, right? If if they focused only on their physical differences, only if they, if they focused on on the the differences in color or culture or customs, right? They, they weren't going to make it through. In fact, they were doing their enemies, the, the cult of Artemis, they were doing them a favor, right? Because they'd be bickering and just kind of fighting among themselves and, and this cult wouldn't even have to do anything, right? So Paul, he wanted them to adjust their focus from the physical to the spiritual and start seeing other believers the way God saw them, namely as brothers and sisters that are part of the same family, fighting for the same cause and saved by the same Savior, right? And so when the Jewish and Gentile believers in Ephesus stood united, then they would fulfill God's purpose in their church. By staying united during a crisis, they would show that that unity amidst diversity is possible in our world. And so why don't we experience this more often, especially among believers? I think there are several reasons, and we see them in Ephesians chapter 3. The first reason is that I don't think we experience this as often as God wants because believers are generally unaware of God's plan and purpose for them. Right? This is why Paul is taking so much time to clarify for the Ephesians and for us in, in the, uh, God's plan and purpose in the, these first three chapters. Right? And so we find uh, the other reasons uh, uh, in Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. So if you take a look at verse 14 and you just start skimming through there, you will see him praying for certain things. And I believe he's praying these things not just like in random 
You know, sometimes this prayer is referenced out of context because it, it truly is a, a, a beautiful prayer, a powerful prayer. And people just kind of take it out of its context as if pray, Paul just like in, in midstream started praying right? No, he's, this prayer is embedded in a larger context. It's part of a greater purpose, uh, 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 part of the reason why Paul was writing this letter, right? He just didn't pause in the middle of, of writing and just begin praying some random prayer. He's praying these things for a reason and for a purpose. And, and I believe those reasons have to do with why the Ephesians weren't perhaps experiencing the unity amidst their diversity, like Paul had, was hoping that they would. And so he's praying for them. And in the process of praying for them, he's actually kind of putting out there what he's hoping they will be like and, and hoping for what God will do in them, especially considering the fact they're facing a crisis. And so we see uh, uh, several reasons why we don't experience this unity amidst diversity like we should. Uh, first, we find in verse 16, we lack inner spiritual strength. Quite frankly, we try to do too much in the flesh and we don't seek the strength that the Holy Spirit has to offer. We try to power through in our own strength. And so I think that we, we miss out on, on that unity. It's only by the Spirit. Paul talks a little bit more about that in, in, in his fourth chapter to the Ephesians. The th- uh, third reason why we don't experience this more often is we haven't allowed Christ to make his home in our hearts. Right, you, a lot of you guys know I, I recently moved, and I and I uh, we got in my family and I got a new home, and in in the last few weeks we've been uh, setting it up and making a home. And I can tell you right now, you you don't make a home in a in a a building by standing in the foyer, right? You have to get into every corner. You got to bring your stuff in. You got to set set it up. Right, you don't just pile it all in the foyer or in the in the front room and, and call it good, right? You go into every closet and every space and you you set things up, and I think that, listen, uh, we don't experience unity amidst diversity very often, because while we've let Christ in the door, we've left him standing in the foyer with his coat and shoes on. Far too many believers have invited Jesus into their hearts, but not into their lives. They've expressed faith in him as it concerns salvation, but not to the point where they actually alter what they value and how they relate to others. And so as a result, when a crisis hits, they don't trust him like they should. Okay. And I'll just apply it right to us. Guys, we haven't made, some of us have not made Christ Uh, or allowed Christ to make his home in our hearts. We've invited him in, but that's about it. And it's no wonder when a crisis hits, we fail to trust him, right? And so we need to let him in, let him alter what we value and how we relate to others. We need to rely on on, uh, the Holy Spirit's inner strength, right? We need to understand God's plan and his purpose, as I put a different spin on these, these things. Look at the fourth reason is found in verse 17. So we lack spiritual roots. We don't experience unity amidst diversity as often because we simply lack spiritual roots. Our roots don't go down uh, into God's love and keep us strong because we don't have any roots, right? Our, our, we don't 
when a crisis hits, we're not falling back on our relationship with God because it's, it's barely in existence, right? We, we just have enough of God just to get us by, just to get us saved. But we don't have that real vibrant, ongoing conversation with him that strengthens us. Right? We, we, we rely more on the news than we do on the scriptures. We rely more on, on talking to others on Facebook and social media than we do talking to God in prayer. Okay? And if we do those things, we're not going to have the spiritual roots that anchor us in a time of crisis. And so flip that around. We need to develop some spiritual roots if we're going to not only make it through a crisis, but make it through a crisis united with other believers, especially concerning how diverse our opinions are regarding how to best make it through, okay? Uh, The fifth reason is we don't understand God's love. Look at verse 18. Paul talks about that. He prays that may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is, right? There's a lot of people that don't understand God's love. They, there's a lot of people, a lot of believers that think God loves like they do. But Paul says in, in verse 18 that God's love is essentially infinite and it's unfailing. And I just think that when we understand God's love, we are better able to adjust our focus from the physical to the spiritual, from our crisis uh, to the consistency of God and from ourselves to others, because that's exactly what love does. Love is unselfish. It's that agape, God-like love that puts others first, right? Imagine where we would be if God always put himself first. Man, we would be in a mess. We are so blessed that God thinks of us, that God puts us first, that he, he gave his only son died for us so that we could have a relationship. And that's the type of love God wants us to exhibit to, uh, to each other, especially as believers, to put other people first. And so as we better understand God's love, I believe that we're going to be able to do that. We're going to be able to embrace uh, other people's thoughts, feelings, and desires. We're going to be better positioned to understand where they come from. We're going to actually care about what they think, right? And, And about listening to their story and why they value what they value. Because God's love, as we understand it, will then begin to flow through us to each other. Okay. The last reason is uh, that we don't experience unity amidst diversity as often as we should is because we don't realize how powerful God is. We see Paul pray in verse 20. He says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You know, guys, God is not limited like we are. He can do above and beyond our highest prayers and hopes. God's God's power is not limited by our imagination. And we tend to forget that in a crisis. We forget that I have an opinion, you have an opinion, everybody has an opinion about how to get through. But ultimately, God knows what's best and he knows how to get us through. His plan to get us through this crisis goes far beyond what what we could even pray, what we could even hope, what we could even ask for, 
right? God's solutions are not limited by our suggestions. And, and I, if we can keep that in mind during a crisis, I think it's going to help us relax a little bit and we won't fight as hard for our p- particular solution because we realize in the end that, you know what? God is bigger than all of this. God can do more than we might ask or think or hope for. And you know what? Let's just get our hearts in tune with his. Let's keep our hearts in tune with one another. Let's focus more on him. Let's focus on on who he's called us to be. Let's focus on on each other and helping one another uh, stay together and stay united, even though we differ on on how we think we might want to get through this, right? That's what Paul's praying for. And so these are things He's remember he's praying this for a reason. I think he's praying it because the Ephesians needed it, right? They needed it in order to keep that unity amidst diversity. And we see him even reference that if as you go into chapter chapter four, he talks about make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That's chapter four, verse three. Right. And so I think this is where Paul is going uh, with this prayer and in this chapter. Okay. And so these are the reasons we don't experience unity amidst diversity more often. And, I, and, a, and a crisis makes these reasons more visible than normal because, a, remember, a crisis exposes who we really are, right? And this is when people start opinionating and conflict emerges and all of that, okay? So, so what do we do about it? How do you and I move forward? How can you help fulfill God's purpose for the church, okay? That's the, the real question. Well, I think your first step is to realize that, that you have a part in God's plan and purpose, and your part involves serving others in some way. Notice I said your part involves serving others, not yourself, okay? God's part, God's, uh, excuse me, your part in God's plan is, is not about you serving yourself. It's about you serving him, and serving other people. Now I say this based on Paul's attitude with respect to the to the Ephesians. As you read through here, there's another layer at work, okay? I mean, you you need to remember that Paul was in a crisis too. Okay? He was sitting in prison, probably chained to a wall, and yet in the midst of his own crisis, he was still thinking of others, right? He even references this crisis in um Verse uh, 13, he says, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored, right? He's suffering. He's in a rough time, right? And yet he still took time to think of others. He took time to write the Ephesians an encouraging, an encouraging letter that would strengthen them during their crisis. He, he wasn't focused only on himself, even though every time he moved his hand to write the letter, he felt the tug of the chain on his wrist. I imagine it started to, to rub his, his wrist raw as he moved his hand, and maybe he had to scoot closer to the wall in order to move his pen properly on the paper. You know, the chain was a hindrance, and every time he wrote a letter about focusing on God or focusing on who they really were or focusing on other people, that chain just reminded him of his own crisis. Okay? Now notice, all throughout chapter 3, Paul references his responsibility 
to participate in God's plan. We see that in verse two. He says, God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. And he considered that responsibility a privilege. It was a, Paul considered it a privilege to serve God and others in this way. We read of that in verses seven and eight. He said, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And then he told them in verse 13, not to be discouraged by his crisis. And in the remaining prayers, he passionately prays that God would give them the things that they need to remain united during their crisis. See, a crisis didn't prevent Paul from fulfilling his part in God's plan. Why? Because he adjusted his focus from himself to other people. And you have a part in God's plan and you need to continue fulfilling it even during a time of crisis. Why? Because someone in your sphere of influence needs you to do so. Someone needs you to lead by example, just like Paul did for the Ephesians. Okay? Someone needs you to encourage them, just like Paul did for the Ephesians. Someone needs you to pray for them, just like Paul did for the Ephesians. You need to shift your focus from yourself and onto those around you, onto those for uh, uh, whom you are responsible for. It could be some people in your home. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be people at work. It could be neighbors. It could be friends. It could be just people in your sphere of influence. That, that you're connected to, maybe even responsible for. Someone needs you to continue fulfilling your role. Why? Because you could be the reason why someone else makes it through this crisis. Without you, someone is going to give up. Without you, someone is going to lack the strength and, and the encouragement to get through. Without your prayers, someone might not make it through this crisis. And so, They are depending on you, whether you want them to or not. They are depending on you to do your part, to be that example, to offer that encouragement, to pray passionately for them, just like Paul did for the Ephesians. And you shouldn't consider it a a burden to do so. You should consider it a privilege. You and I should feel privileged to have a part in God's plan and, and some influence in someone else's life. And so let's adjust our focus from ourselves and onto those around us. You see, as we do, I believe we will tend to be quicker to listen and slower to speak. James talks about that in his letter. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Boy, if there was a verse for our times, that would be it, right? Considering how much people are spouting off on social media, right? I don't see a lot of people being quick to listen. I don't see people being slow to speak or slow to get angry. There's a lot of angry people right now, right? And so we will tend, as we shift our focus from ourselves to others, as God wants, we will tend to be quicker to listen, slower to speak. We will be more apt to understand why someone feels the way they do and less apt to convince or coerce them to feel the way we do. 
And so as we, especially as believers, accept the diversity of other believers, we will be able to create the unity that God desires for the church. Again, we're not talking about dismissing things that the Bible clearly teaches are right and wrong. We're talking about making allowances for differences in opinion about how we need to make it through this crisis. Okay, that's what we're really talking about here. So our focus should be on who we have in common and how we can support one another as believers. And so as we do this, we're going to have a powerful witness to unbelievers who are watching us. There are believer, unbelievers out there who are, who are probably in one of two camps. They're either curious about our faith and they're watching to see how we respond. They're watching to see how we respond to this crisis. Is it with calm or is it with, with coercion and lashing out and angry words and all of this, right? They're, they're watching us. And so if we can maintain our unity amidst diversity and make allowances for one another, we will have a powerful witness to them, okay? And then the other camp of unbelievers, they are those that just simply want to see uh, the church destroyed, quite frankly. There are a lot of unbelievers who, who hate Christians, they hate Christ, they hate his cause, and they are uh, purely motivated by, by spiritual darkness. And, and they just, they want to see the demise of the church. And, you know, if we are bickering and arguing amidst ourselves, right, we are doing them a favor. We are not helping the cause of Christ when we fail to make for differences in opinions regarding how we move forward. So the best way to stand united, the best way to defend ourselves as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, against unbelievers who want nothing more for the church to fall than for the church to fall apart, is to remain united amidst diversity. That's how we defend ourselves. And so on one hand, we maintain a powerful witness to those who are curious. Uh, and, and on the other hand, we defend ourselves against those who want to see us fall. Okay. And so these are things Paul is alluding to and trying to get across to us in Ephesians chapter three. And I hope that as you read, you will see these things to be true for yourselves and God's Holy Spirit will begin working on your heart as he has mine. I have personally been challenged by this, challenged to turn my focus off of just what I think, feel, and want and on to others around me. And so with that said, can we just take a few moments here before we wrap up to pray together that God makes this possible? Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you that you are so faithful. God, this crisis that we're in has, has not taken you by surprise. It has not limited your power. God, you are so faithful. You are all-knowing, and you are just at, uh, at peace in the midst of all of this, God. I pray that, that your peace, Lord, would just... In, Fill our hearts, God, during this time, especially those who are concerned, whether it be about health or, or, or uh, a government overreach or, or a financial meltdown. God, I pray that you would just flood people's hearts with peace, God, and, and that we would be reminded of who you are, God, and, and of all that you've done in our, our lives. And also that, that we as believers need to stay united. God, I pray that we would just make allowance 
differences, for differences in opinion about how to move forward and, and, and just where our emphasis should be and, and give us the, 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 just the uh, unselfish love of God in our hearts, God, that we would just cons- be considerate of one another, even as you are considerate, considerate of us, God. I thank you so much uh, for those that are listening and, and applying this this message uh, in Ephesians 3 in their own lives, God. Just let it sink in. Let it truly change us. Let us shift our focus, God, this week from ourselves and onto others and consider the fact that there, there are probably more than one way, or there is more than one way to move forward through this. And what's important is that we move forward together, united as Christians. Uh, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Make it so. Amen. Guys, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments or want to discuss this further, reach out to me, mike at cornerstoneparker.org. We can set up a time to chat on the phone or via Google Hangouts or Zoom meeting or something, okay? Have a great rest of the day. Talk to you later. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that His truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.